2: Deep in the back of your mind, you've always had the feeling that there's something strange about reality. There is. Cyranoid, death mushroom, nanoparticle, mechanical messiah, fist punch evolution. On our award-winning science podcast, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, we examine neurological quandaries, cosmic mysteries, evolutionary marvels, and our transhuman future. New episodes come out Tuesdays and Thursdays on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcast.
1: Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous developments we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, 76 out of 77 scientists have agreed that the fringe theories about chemtrails are basically nonsense. In unrelated geochemistry, Venus may have been habitable to life as we know it for two billion years of its history. But first, senior writer Robert Lamb reports on a new study out of our Atlanta neighbor, Emory University. Hey y'all! The study looks into a bit of dog psychology. What kind of reward do our pups prefer? Praise from us, or tasty processed meat goo?
2: Pavlov's dog casts a long shadow over human-dog interaction. Your bond with Scruffy might be tender. It might be the defining relationship of your life. But when you watch him hoover up dog chow, or let's face it, worse things, it's easy to see him as little more than a Pavlovian beast. His entire nature wrapped around the acquisition and consumption of food. Well, neuroscientist Gregory Burns and his Emory Dog Project team decided to look inside the dog brain for answers, which is to say they took 13 fMRI-trained dogs and taught them to associate three different objects with three different outcomes. A pink truck? That's a food reward, buddy. A blue toy knight? Verbal praise from your owner. And a hairbrush? Sorry, that doesn't get you anything. The researchers tested all three objects on the dogs in an fMRI for close to 100 trials. Then they sat back and observed the neural fireworks. To no one's surprise, the reward stimuli, the truck and the night, resulted in stronger neural activation than the hairbrush. Four of the dogs preferred the prey stimuli object, two preferred the food stimuli object, and the other nine showed similar activation for both. They followed this up with a Y-shaped maze experiment. One branch of the maze leading to food, the other to the dog's owner. The dog's behavioral choice at the crossroads matched up closely with their observed neural activity. Most of the dogs were willing to go either way, but the praise-centric dogs from the first experiment went to their owners 80-90% to 90% of the time though the degree of preference can be highly variable on a dog-to-dog basis. Future studies may reveal how breed, rearing, and genetic profile play into the situation, as well as further illuminate the evolution of the domestic dog.
1: Next up, senior writer Jonathan Strickland brings us a story of near-total scientific consensus. 98.7% of specialists in geochemistry and atmospheric chemistry have agreed that fringe theories about chemtrails just don't hold water. Or rather, they hold nothing but water. They're not chemicals, they're just water vapor.
3: Have you ever seen long trails left behind by jet aircraft flying high in the sky? Those trails are called contrails, which is short for condensation trails. They form from the water vapor in aircraft exhaust. This is similar to when clouds form from your breath on a cold day. The air from your lungs is warm and damp. The water vapor in your breath condenses as it hits the cold air. But these breath clouds evaporate quickly. Contrails can last for hours. What gives? The length of time a contrail holds its shape depends upon the humidity in the atmosphere. A contrail in humid air will hold its shape longer than one in drier air. If the air is particularly dry, no contrail will form at all. But people have proposed that those trails are actually evidence of a secret, wide area, high-altitude spraying program. Some posit that the culprit is a government agency, and others say it's a corporation or other private group. Typically, the claim is that the chemtrails are meant to subjugate the population in some way, through public health, crops, or weather control, and frequently they try to make a connection between chemicals found in soil and the trails in the sky. But according to a recent study published in Environmental Research Letters, that's just not the case. The study involved 77 scientists specializing in either atmospheric chemistry or geochemistry. The experts evaluated information that supporters of the chemtrail theory cite as evidence of a conspiracy. 76 of those scientists said that there was no evidence supporting Chemtrail claims. They said that the data could more easily be explained by our understanding of condensation and the natural processes that deposit material on the Earth's surface. So, can we put this fringe theory to bed? Even the researchers who organized the study think that's too ambitious. As they said in their report, Our goal is not to sway those already convinced that there is a secret large-scale spraying program who often reject counter-evidence as further proof of their theories, but rather to establish a source of objective science that can inform public discourse. So think of this study as a preventive measure. For people convinced that something hinky is going on, this study will serve as more proof of a cover-up. But for those still forming an opinion, it could shed a little light on the subject.
1: this week, I've got some breaking news about ancient Venus. Climate modeling research indicates that the planet could be a lovely place to visit. With a time machine. Earth and Venus are each about four and a half billion years old. Although Venus is a veritable hellscape today, it's good to keep in mind that Earth was probably equally uninhabitable for about a billion years. It got better. And according to a new study out of NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies, Venus has changed, too. It may have been habitable to life as we know it for up to 2 billion years of its history. Venus today is exactly the kind of place that humans don't want to hang out. There's practically no water because the surface temperature can reach 462 degrees Celsius. That's 864 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the perfect temperature to cook a crispy Neapolitan pizza and more than hot enough to melt aluminum. The atmospheric pressure on its surface is 90 times that of Earth's, meaning the very air would crush you. And by air, I mean mostly carbon dioxide. Researchers also think Venus's thick clouds discharge more lightning than we see on Earth. And those clouds are made of sulfuric acid. But as recently as 715 million years ago, Venus may have had shallow oceans, and an atmosphere comparable to Earth's today, with mean temperatures a few degrees cooler than ours even. The team from NASA adapted the climate modeling tools used here on Earth to create a 3D climate simulation for ancient Venus. They built the model based on data and hypotheses from NASA's Pioneer and Magellan space probes and the ESA's Venus Express orbiter. They found that, even though its distance from the Sun means that ancient Venus would have received about 40% more sunlight than Earth does today, Venus's global temperatures were likely mitigated by its incredibly slow rotation rate. A day on Venus lasts about 117 Earth days. Its day side receives sun exposure for about two Earth months at a time. In the simulation, that produced thick rain clouds that shielded the surface and kept the planet temperate. These results are dependent on Venus's topography and rotation rate not changing much over the past few billion years, uh, which is actually likely, but it's still in question, so the team played around with the model to see whether feasible topographical or rotational adjustments could have changed their results. Increasing the steepness of the mountains and ocean basins to Earth-type levels raised the temperatures in the model, but they did stay within a life-friendly range. Speeding the rotational rate only made the model too hot for life when they made Venus's days seven times shorter, a mere 16 Earth days per single Venus day, as opposed to 117. The research is thought-provoking on its own. Ancient Earth sponges and algae may have had neighbors in our solar system. But it's really part of NASA's push to identify exoplanets capable of harboring life as we know it. We previously thought planets as close to a star as Venus may have always been too hot to support life. But now we can expand our search. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe now for more of the latest and strangest science news. And send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover. Plus, what do you think about all this? Does Robert's report match up with your human-dog relationships? Are you convinced that chemtrail theories are bunk? Do you think we might someday find signs of ancient life on Venus? We want to know. And if you tell us, I might share your experience on air. Shoot us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And to access thousands of other stories like these, check out our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com.
2: Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano!
0: Huh? Oh! Gene, run!
2: Listen to Fodor's Guide to
0: Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Whitsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every
3: day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.